Welcome to Hunter Gatherers, the podcast of Hunter S. Thompson stories, coming to you from our studios on Historic Magazine Street in New Orleans, right on the cusp of Mardi Gras, but also on the cusp of one of Hunter S. Thompson's favorite yearly activities, the Super Bowl. And joining us from his perch in cold and windy Maine on the Maine coast is Hunter's longtime editor and the host of this program. Curtis Robinson. And Curtis, Hunter used to look forward to Super Bowl weekend with a certain emotional intensity, did he not? Yeah, it's that time of year again. We we, we thoughts turned to uh, the Super Bowl. It was always, you know, the, the thing that people forget about the Super Bowl is it's is it's also the end of football season. <laughs> so, you know, when you're when you're talking about a writer who began his suicide note with football season is over. You know, it takes on a certain gravity over the years. You know, and, and every conversation around the Super Bowl and Hunter begins with the fantastic piece he wrote for Rolling Stone in, let's call it 73, Fear and Loathing at the Super Bowl. But, uh, you know, it, it's worth noting how much football and politics were intertwined with Hunter to the point where I don't think he really considered them as much metaphors and twined particles. He really thought they were, you know, they were such good examples. And, of course, Hunter started as a sports writer. His first real writing gig was in the Air Force at um, oh, the, the one that's down in Florida, uh, Eglin, Eglin. Eglin Air Force Base. And he was a sports writer for the campus or the campus, the campus, <laughs> the campus, campus newspaper. Yeah. And then he got a job from there as, as somebody else did. And, you know, and I, I that really spoke to me. My first job writing, the first money I ever made was uh, as a sports writer. You know, it's funny, Curtis, almost, and this is definitely not true of me. I, I did not start my career as a journalist, as a sports writer. In fact, I once had a station manager where I told him, I said, look, arcane political knowledge, historical knowledge, cultural reference knowledge I'm fine about. But when somebody puts on a sports question, I'm going to come to you and ask you some of the dumbest questions you have ever had gotten in your life. Just go with it. I will come up with knowledge elsewhere. And uh, so I do not say that. But almost myself accepted, and maybe George Will, though even actually I don't even say that George Will, he's a baseball fan. Almost every great political columnist I've ever met either started as a sports writer or could have. They were such sports addicts that they could have because they understood how to look at politics as a game with the sides. Well, yes, uh, there, there's that. And, and I think that one of the criticisms of, of political coverage over the years is we cover, the, we cover it as a sports analogy. We cover, we cover the horse race of it, if you will. But you know, and and Hunter realized that. But but it's such great training because there's a score. Uh, you 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 cover a football. You get to write about here comes the football game. What do, what do the experts think? Here's the football game. There's a score. Jesus, why were we so wrong? Or why why was this person correct? Now rinse and repeat. Do that every week, and you begin to realize that the the commentary around the event is part of the event. So when we're when we're all trying to game out who runs in 24, as President Trump has announced, Nikki Haley has said maybe, uh, 
as we start to game that out, it's called that for a reason, <laughs> we start to uh, see the, the, the parallels. You know, Hunter, Hunter wrote uh, that thing that about sports writers that kind of rude and brainless subculture of fascist drunks, <laughs> you know, uh, with, with, with the good sense to go out and cover whatever the sports center. And he said, you know, the, the role of most sports writers is to essentially sell whatever it is they're covering. You know, I think that's still true. I mean, we forget that the announcers kind of work for the NFL. They don't really work for CBS News. So the announcers are, are that, that's not Walter Cronkite sitting there in that, that booth. You know, and I, and I think that that's part of what Hunter saw. But, you know, it's interesting, even with Nixon, you know, he, yeah, I was, he, uh, I was, the Nixon thing where it was like the one thing he really... So, might not be just one thing, but but he always talked about Nixon was a football fan too. Yes, for those that didn't um, haven't covered some of the last few episodes, and what's wrong with you if you didn't? Uh, we we got the story about how Hunt the one time Hunter rode in a car with Richard Nixon, where we think of of course that Patrick Buchanan was sitting there either driving or in the other seat, and they had this incredible conversation about. It was is it professional football or is it college football? I can't remember. I think which. pro football. Pro football. Uh, because he mentions where the kid went to school. The kid went to Miami, so so Hunter made a point to say that he he knew he didn't just know the play. He knew where the kid went to to college, played college ball. So I think that I think that was part of it. And and then you know um, as a very small sub point, by the way, uh, this this is for the the Hunter. Uh, trivia people, I did once take him to task because the Rolling Stone headline, he had the, uh, he quoted from the Bible and uh, the Rolling Stone headlines, I think it was uh, Revelation 10, 15, actually put an S on Revelation. It was Revelations 10, 15, which he immediately told me, no, they didn't. I'm like, oh, yes, they did. And uh, because we used to... Um, look down upon people who <laughs> would call the the biblical revelation revelations and uh uh i think it bothered him a lot <laughs> are you saying the apocrypha um can be pluralized um well and and hunter was such a biblical scholar he was as much a scholar of the bible as uh well of the book of revelation he was uh he he do it well and so he to quote to quote from it as his lead to the Super Bowl is it's quite spectacular and the and the way the way he intertwines sports I mean I don't know how many um, uh, of the early Hunter fans the Fear and Loathing Las Vegas fans go to read the Hey Rube columns which were were some of the last of his writing uh, published writing anyway and. I think if you go to Hey Rube, which was for ESPN, it, I loved the, that the format made him, so it sort of forced him into saying, you know, uh, politics is blood sport. It sort of forced him to be more on the nose about that, which, which I really like. And it was, um, and, and you start, you start there, but he had other sports writing. I mean, look, look, you know the the Kentucky Derby piece, which is the first Gonzo oh, yeah. piece with sports writing. Uh, even to some degree, the Hell's Angels book was you know recreational motorcycles, 
So it was funny. It's funny that the topics that he floated toward through the years and how football football was there. But but someone said of Hunter that the only thing in Hunter's world that had priority over football was first strike. And I attended maybe probably seven Super Bowls <laughs> at Hunter's house. And and that was true. And it was, you know, there was gambling sometimes on every play. And uh, he he had short patience for those who had not come to absorb the game. The conversation had to happen uh, uh, in that context. Or you could go in the other room. <laughs> um, <clears throat> you know, it's interesting because uh, it, Hunter's sports analogies go throughout every single one of the writings. But I'm, I'm curious what his reaction would have been to the fact that <clears throat> the Super Bowls, we may not see it as much this year, but we certainly saw it last year. We definitely saw it in 2020, where the Super Bowl commercials have become the forum. If you are trying to make your name on the national political scene, you're buying a Super Bowl commercial. And it raises two in individual questions. The Super Bowl then becomes a, 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 an extension of partisan politics. But also, you have to be obscenely wealthy to be able to buy Super Bowl commercials. You've got to be a Michael Bloomberg. You got to be a yet it's becoming something that serious political candidates are saying, yeah, I'll I'll buy 30 seconds at what is it, 60 million dollars or whatever ridiculous amount of money it is. Well that is that is serious and, and the one thing I, I would expect he would say is that well all it really proves is you have the ability to raise a lot of money and that's no small thing to let everyone know. The other part of that I actually uh, Hunter had absolutely no interest in Super Bowl ads until I sort of converted him by uh, uh, we would gamble <laughs> on the first ad. I always, always wanted to take beer, but uh, he would usually insist on taking beer. But it's almost never beer, although beer is a good bet. I think today you could probably look that up. And, and, you know, it is an obscene amount of money, but it's an obscene amount of audience. What It's you know, uh, Hunter wrote that thing about the, the serious football fan is never uh, alone. We are legion, and sometimes that's all we have in common. If you look at common denominator events in, in our culture, in, in Western culture, in the U United States culture, you know, because you know, there's that time when you realize that there's another kind of football, and even more people watch it. But we, but I digress. Mm -hmm. One of the things is what what other massive common denominator events are there and and how many of them are you know without how many of them are negative well, let's be blunt without professional sports there are most are not any common cultural identities in america today I'm, and the reason I'm, 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 I'm not saying that lightly, I'm about to go into one of the only other ones, and it's not an American habit, but it certainly is a New Orleans one that draws five million people to it, and that's Mardi Gras, where one of the only other events that I know of besides sports where you'll have a liberal conservative, a white, black, Hispanic, Asian person on the same street enjoying the same experience, having a commonality, and not talking politics, even in the parades that are political satire. And so, um, you know, it's it, there aren't they're just not there used to be things that were there were, you know, um, American Legion halls, Knights of Columbus group, whatever you would say that were sort of things that bound us of different ideologies. Now, basically, they're sports. 
That's that's yeah, the public I'm, square. Friend, I have yeah. uh, I have friends who are Philadelphia Eagles fans, and they are uh, you know bound in their lust for a Super Bowl overcomes any petty differences like politics. Yeah, or really anything. Uh, uh, they are united in their lust for for a Super Bowl, and and um, you know, it, and and united. Well, they're also united in their hatred of the New England Patriots. But that will. Wait. But they're not alone in that. Yeah. You got to understand, Curtis. They are not alone in that. No, no, they're not. <laughs> it is they're a not. that is a that may be the other thing that brings everyone outside of New England together is the is a genuine hatred for Bill Belichick. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Tom Brady, Tom Brady, now that he's retiring, he should get uh, uh, a lot of praise for uniting the country. <laughs> not, not in the way he intended. So it's, uh, it, it is the Super Bowl. It's, it's uh, a good time to, to look back at Hunter. Uh, do you, do you, and it, since we've mentioned the words, we now have to make a prediction. And I got to say that I think the Eagles are looking good. I, I, I you know, I, as, I don't actually have a favorite in this particular game, so I'm, I can be it. I actually think the the Eagles remind me a lot of what the New Orleans Saints felt like in 2007, 2008. Um, it, it was it was because it, it it was sort of a team that's been an underdog so long that they're hungry and they want it worse than anybody else. One of the things I've asked friends of mine who played professional sports. One who was uh, it was played baseball. It was a pitcher for the uh, for the Cardinals. Another um, Peyton Manning. I've asked him about this a couple times, and 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 basically I said, "What about the feeling of team?" And he said, "That's the difference." He said, "Almost no professional sports team feels like a team, but when they do, when they feel like it, they're unbeatable." And he said, "You know, frankly, <laughs> I lost to the Saints because the Saints were a team and we weren't." which I thought was a pretty, huh. a pretty extraordinary statement. And he said, but he said, it's not, you can't make a team. A team has to decide to be a team. And right now I think the Eagles, yeah, they've decided to be a team. Yeah. Because, because at the end of the day, it is a whole bunch of rich guys. Yeah. I mean, you know, that, that, that's true for that, you know, and, and I also think that, that um, when you talk about Hunter stories, I think a lot of people who intersected with Hunter around football, have some of the best memories. I think one of the, you know, one of the strangest things, and it just just came back to me. I hadn't thought about it in years. Is there was a guy who wrote about being a uh, local sports writer in Texas during the uh, when the Houston, I guess it was in Houston that uh, the Super Bowl story was written, and he went there with his boss to do something, and uh, he wasn't credentials. He didn't go, but he was in the in the sports room, and he heard the song that Hunter mentions in the opening to the Super Bowl story. And then he, he's written about that. You can find it on the internet where he says, I remember standing there thinking, where's that music coming from? <laughs> he said, if I'd have just known it was Hunter Thompson up there playing music, I could have quit my job. Just like out with Hunter. It was, it was, uh, it's an interesting piece, but it's, it's, I think some of that interaction is, is always interesting of, of, you know, the, the, that, and, and I think that the, the ability to gamble on the Super Bowl now legally, not that it, not that anyone didn't gamble on, I think that would have been very interesting to, to Hunter. I think some of the, 
I keep sort of a mental list of reasons that I that Hunter would have wished he was still around. One of them, of course, legalization of cannabis. But the other one might be legalization of gambling. It was yeah. having national syndicates for gambling. I mean, we could do it. I, I used to run sports radio programs, and the way we financed them is we had Costa Rican uh, offshore gambling outlets that were um, able to take bets by international telephone call, and they paid for the advertising of the show as long as we promoted them. And that was legal until the uh, then W. Bush administration made it those international uh, uh, you know, bank transfers illegal. But um, it's not like it hasn't happened, but now it's become so commonplace that you have sports betting ads on professional football television. Yeah, that still is jarring. That's yeah. really jarring to me. It's like uh, it's like seeing a, a cigarette machine in a middle school to me. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I'm getting used to it. But you know, there were there was a time when the idea of having a beer commercial on a televised football game would have been considered obscene. If you really go in the in the early televising of of football, and was, mostly it was college, it was that that would have been considered inappropriate too. So you know. Times do change. Um, I, I do, and so often, and so often for the better. <laughs> uh, Saith the man who um, ha- has a very low opinion of how shall we put this uh, prohibition. Um, yes, my opinion of prohibition is, my, is, is extremely low. <laughs> the uh, what there was of it, even. But there's, uh, uh, I would say, in terms of Super Bowl, Hunter Thompson, people should should as they warm up. They should read that. I would also point out that there was a lesser piece that was still interesting that he wrote in 73, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, you could see it's sort of a warm-up for 74. It's it's the Los Angeles game with the um, – oh, who was it? It was the Raiders. Because in that time and space, because of his connection to San Francisco and Oakland – you know, Hunter had a real connection with the Raiders. Uh, now, of course, the Las Vegas Raiders, mm-hmm. and uh, he even talks about Raiders Nation in that. So, I, I think I think that's interesting, and and uh, I think it was also interesting that you know when you know Hunter didn't have a team per se. I mean, in later years, of course, he migrated toward the Colts and uh, Jim Irsay, and, and uh, there was there was certainly an affinity there. I think as much for. The owner is for the team. He famously said, you know, that maybe Peyton Manning was a bad idea. That maybe they should <laughs> draft the other guy. Uh, you know, so maybe there's a reason he wasn't a pro football coach. But there's uh, there's plenty out there. It's, uh, you know, it does remind some of us. And I will point out that the Super Bowl is moving back closer and closer. 100 died on February 20th. We just seem to be moving back closer and closer. I wonder if one day we're going to see those dates overlap. I mean, it's it's possible, and <clears throat> it depends upon whether or not we we continue to have as uh, as long a preseason. The NFL doesn't want that, but um, I mean, I keep thinking. I was thinking a lot about because Hunter referenced this in one of his writings that um, the Super Bowl started basically because the two leagues were so unbalanced. 
And it was just sort of the way to decide who was the better league, and it wasn't even a contest for many years. And, and now it's gotten – it used to be you'd watch Super Bowls, and you kind of knew what was going to happen before the Super Bowl came in. Well, who was the stronger team? What was going to happen? Now, I, from year to year, you really don't know who's going to win the Super Bowl. It really is a surprise each and every year. There's very rarely a favorite of more than, you know, a field goal or something predicted. But, yeah, you know, but I think they got really lucky too because uh, – football's got a rhythm that's really really good for television something mm-hmm. happens there's a time to talk about it then something else happens but i also think they got lucky they you know they came out with broadway joe namath early on they had a, a bigger than life character running around and uh probably you know guaranteeing wins and doing things you didn't do so the, i think they got they got lucky in that respect but boy now he's like um you know i i agree with with Hunter, you know, what would we do without football in the fall? It's, it, well, I'll be, I'll uh, be very blunt that um, basically the broadcast networks would be in bankruptcy because w- getting back to what we started with about commercials, the Super Bowl is one of the only events where you guarantee people are watching the commercials. And professional sports in general are the only events where there's a high probability people will even see the commercials. Other than, you know, honestly, talk radio where you're going from talking to talking to talking and, you know, podcasting where you want to get to the next part of the podcast, you're going to hear a commercial on Spotify. The fact of the matter is commercials, video and audio are something that people have become accustomed to either avoiding, fast forwarding past or jumping over altogether. And professional sports are the one thing that you can't jump over. You, you well, especially the Super Bowl because exactly. they're, they're, they're so good. <laughs> well, it, and, and that actually says something. People, it is horrible, though, to have to shush, shush people during the, wait a minute, wait a minute, what did, what, what did he say about his computer? <laughs> well, and, and this year was one of the first years that the Super Bowl commercials have basically come out before the Super Bowl. They, well, yes, they do that now, and, it, yeah. and it's segments of others, and, I, and I, I kind of love all that. I kind of love the fact that you know, you're going to spend that that much money, and I don't know off the top of my head what the 30 second spots are going for this year. Yeah. I I don't think it's up to a million, but I bet it's 750. Um, so, sure boy, that that that's a lot of money, and and when you put that much money into 30 seconds, your production budget reflects that. It's like, you know, well, <laughs> we we just spent three quarters of a million dollars for 30 seconds. Yeah, we can, we can afford to make a decent ad. Well, I mean, you can actually afford production cost, And, um, so the average per 30 seconds last year was $7 million. Um, the year before it was actually a little higher. It was, well, it was actually 6.5. So it's, it's North of $7 million this year. For 30 seconds. 30 seconds. Yeah, I guess maybe 750 was the playoff level. Yeah, that's where I, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, that's yeah, that's what the uh, that's what the biggest event in TV will do for you. Yeah, that's what happens when uh, the one thing that actually brings America together. But there, uh, when nothing else will, we'll never. I was I was thinking about that. I was watching Mash the other day, and I remembered uh, the the last episode of Mash that had more viewers than any other event in history, which is routinely beaten by Super Bowls on a regular basis, but you will never see a television non-sporting event ever have that kind of audience ever again. In fact, um, was in, the guy who did Independence Day, uh, the movies, uh, Dean Devlin, made an interesting comment. He said, 
I don't do movies anymore. He has a new series on sci-fi called The Ark that's really interesting. He's a big Hunter fan, and he talks about Hunter a lot. And uh, he said, I, I used to, yeah, I did Independence Day. I, he's done a whole bunch of stuff. He says, I don't do movies anymore. He said, it used to be television was the uncreative part because there were only three networks. Nobody took a risk, but there were plenty of movies. <clears throat> now, movies are so expensive. One movie can bankrupt a, a studio. They don't do it, but there's so much streaming. You can do whatever you want. But if you get 50,000 people watching you on streaming, you've succeeded. And it shows you how much the market has bivocated as well. They can take risk yeah. because there's yeah. so there's so much competition. So, well, just thank God they're still podcasting. Of course, we, and, and we know that it, we have at least five million uh, listeners on this podcast. We do. We have the potential for everybody. It's Everyone a, with ears. Everybody with ears, Christopher. And on that note, we should probably let uh, this one slide into the history books and see. And see. Uh, uh, read, read, read Hunter as part of your pregame ritual. Especially the Super Bowl thing, because you will never look at the Super Bowl the same way again. Curtis Robinson, thank you very much. Uh, and ladies and gentlemen, we'll see you at our next broadcast of Hunter Gathers. Thank you, Chris. Um, the official podcast, and I do call it official, of Hunter S. Thompson Stories. We'll see you soon.